Um, so this morning, if you would, open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are beginning our expectation series. If you uh, are new to New Palestine or, or maybe have forgotten over the past few years, uh, every two or three years we uh, spend the month of January looking at what we expect of our believers, uh, of our members. If you go through these white doors on the left, there's a, a board there posted, um, and at the bottom is expectations, five major expectations uh, of members here. And the first two are worship God and live by His Word. Uh, and so that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, I want to be clear, we don't just see these as expectations of our members. We think these are things all believers should be practicing, okay? Okay. Um, We'll get in-depth this morning, but this is also going to be really practical uh, and show you some ways that we as a staff and as a, a faith family are trying to help you uh, implement what these, what these commands are uh, in your homes and in your families and how some of you are already uh, graciously, graciously participating in that and, and working, and, and we're looking forward to it, okay? So after expectations, just so you know where we're headed, Lord willing, I'm praying about this, the Lord could change uh, my mind and show me I haven't been listening well at any minute, but I believe where the Lord is leading us is the gospel of Mark. I, I don't think we've been through a gospel here, Brother Nathan, Brother Bobby, since 2013, 2014. And so we will, uh, Lord willing, spend this year going through the gospel of Mark. I love to study this little book, this uh, what I believe first gospel to be written down, and I'm excited about getting there. So that's what we're looking at this coming year. But this morning we are in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll be in verses 4 through 9. This passage is known as the Shema, and this is a passage we should visit regularly. Um, uh, we, should, we should look at this on a regular basis remember it. It shouldn't be something you only hear preached once. Uh, in Judaism, they actually recite this daily. It's something we need to know and something we need to, to look at over and over and over again. And the reasons why the Shema is kind of like add, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Okay, This is the most basic elements of what it means to be a person who lives in the kingdom of God. Okay, uh, these, This is what it boils down to. And I say addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. My, my wife can do math on the highest levels. Okay, uh, She can do calculus-based physics. She can do all that stuff. Truth is, math's really not that complicated. Even, even calculus-based physics, whatever that is, it always boils down to one of four things. You're either adding, subtracting, multiplying, or dividing. Okay? The trick is, which one do we do next? Okay? And knowing what you got to do and where you got to do it and the problem. But you're always doing one of those four things. Now, it can get so complicated that a simple mind like mine can't understand it. That's why we have people like Catherine in the world. But, but it, it's always, the next step is always add, subtract, multiply, or divide. It's just knowing what to do. Well, the Shema is that to living in God's kingdom. It is, it is the basic elements. It can get complicated. It can get hard to figure out. But it boils down to love God, live by His word, love His people, listen to His spirit. And today we're looking at love God and live by His word. It's, it's one of those basic elements of is, as complicated as life gets, it boils down to that. So let's start in verse 4. Let's just start working 
through this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, known as the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So let's start breaking this down. This is a doctrinal command. First thing it says, Hear, O Israel. Israel, the people of God, but hear can also be translated as listen. It, it's a command. The Hebrew word there is Shema, and that's why this passage is known as the Shema. Shema means to listen, means to hear. That's, that's what he's telling us to do here. Hear what God is saying to us. You want to live for what God is saying. You got to hear what you want. You want to live a life that shows you love God. You got to hear what God's saying. That's where the whole thing starts. So the first thing is, is this is not, when I say this is a doctrinal command, this is not a doctrinal statement. I'd love to look at this verse and tell you this is the great verse on monotheism. In other words, the idea that there's one God. That's not really what this verse is saying. That's a concept we, we figure out through Scripture. This verse is saying, Hear, listen, O people of God, there is one that you worship, and only one that you worship. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Notice, Lord is all caps. It's the name. The point here is we have one and only one that we view as supreme, that we view as above all else. We only have one that's our main thing, if you heard me talk about that before. The idea here is that God is the only thing worthy of our worship. God is the only thing worthy of our utmost affection. God is the main thing, the thing that guides everything and every decision we make. The one true God. Are y'all with me? And what he's telling them is, hey, don't get distracted. Now we think in terms of the world they lived in where there were all these polytheistic societies where the Canaanites had multiple gods and then Baal and Dagon all this kind of stuff. We think of terms of there's out of Egypt, you know, uh, where, where God had to show them that he was the supreme God. Even in Egypt when we get the ten plagues. Each one of those plagues attacks an Egyptian god to show that the one true god is supreme. Um, even the one where Pharaoh's son dies, Pharaoh was viewed as a god. It's all adding up to show that the one true god is the supreme god, the only one worthy of worship, the only one worthy of those things. And so when God tells us to focus on him as our main thing, we like to think of, yeah, well, of course I'm not worshiping you know, a different god. But the idea behind this verse is that he is the one thing we're focused on. That political leaders like Pharaoh and Egypt, all those things don't get us distracted. And I don't know if y'all have noticed, but we live in a world full of distractions. There are lots of things that will demand your utmost affection and desire if you aren't careful. I love my kids but they can't be the utmost thing in my affections and my desires. I love my family. I love my church family. I love my country. But these things are not the utmost. This world will give you distractions from family to work. We're not even going to get into politics. Of all sorts of things that want your devotion. But God has to be the one thing that we're focused on at the end of the day. 
I remember I used to love to go to the fair in Tupelo. And I don't know if it was a state fair or whatever, but it would come to Tupelo Fairgrounds every year. And I loved going because they had funnel cake, and it was awesome. But when you get out at the, the fairgrounds in Tupelo, if you could just imagine kind of our sanctuary as, as big old fairgrounds, you'd get out in a parking lot that would be up here around the, the stage, much bigger. But And when you get out, the entrance is over here on the right into a building, but there's a fence running along, and you can see kind of this side of the fair. And what they always put right there along that fence was the biggest ride. It's the one that you get out of the car and you see it and you go, Dad, I want to ride that, you know? And so most dads were like my dad. You'd get to the ticket booth or sometimes they'd do just pay for each thing, whatever. And he'd say, this is how much money you have or this is how many tickets you have. And you'd go in, you see that ride, but then you go in this building. You know, the first thing when you walk in is all the little crafts and stuff. Some of you remember the little water balloon yo-yos, those would be there, and face painting and all that. And then, then after that, you know, they got all the hot tubs for, why do we sell hot tubs at fairs? I've never understood that. But anyway, you go through the whole hot tub thing, and you know, maybe there's displays for different stuff. So you get out of the building, and then there's food, you know, and I, you know, that, that's good stuff. And if you're like me and... You're planning on getting to that big ride later, and you really want to throw up. You'd get the hot dog, the, the corn dog, and the funnel cake. But anyway, you'd get, you'd get distracted with that. And then there's all the little games. And so you're walking through this, and you, you make the loop. There's a fence in the middle, too. You make the loop, and then you start coming through all the little rides. And there's more games. And there's more food. And it's all cool, but if you forget, hey, the big ride is at the end of this thing, You'd run out of money. They put it there to make sure you walked through everything. And you spent money on everything you'd spend money on. But if you forgot where you were going, if you forgot what the real goal was at the end of the day, to get to the big spin you off your rocker thing that they put at the end, you'd run out of money. And you'd run out of tickets. And you'd go out, you'd get distracted by all the little stuff that... It was fine and it was fun, but it wasn't really what you wanted. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, remember that God's the main thing. He's, here what, he's what you're here for. It's the thing that's reminding us not to get distracted by all of the little distractions that while they may not be bad, they cannot be what steals our attention away from God in life. From country situations to family situations, to financial crisis, to pandemics. We have to remember that at the end of the day, what we worship and what our affections are on and what our goal is, is one. It is the Lord our God. Amen? So when we see this at the beginning, the first thing it says is know God and love God. Y'all see that? Go on to verse 5. We can't let anything else influence us. We can't let something not be our main thing. Verse 5, you're going to recognize it. Verse 5, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, you may be thinking, wait, doesn't it say with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Um, we'll talk about that, but let's break this down. So it tells us to know that God is supreme and live like it there in verse 4. Verse 5 says you do that by loving God with all of yourself. Look, look how it says it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
Let's talk about that some more. By the way, do you recognize that verse? Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting the Shema. He's quoting this. This is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament, according to Jesus. Love God. How do we love Him? We love Him with all of ourselves. First, it says heart. Now, the Hebrew concept of heart here includes mind. Now, we get over into the New Testament era, and they kind of separated the, the will and the, the, the desire and the thought. They kind of separated those things. So Jesus names them both, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But mind is part of this word. It's the idea there. That's why it's kind of fleshed out over in the New Testament. So we love God with, with our heart. The idea there is we love Him with what we know. Sometimes we just got to remember what we know, you know? Sometimes... I know what my kids just did, and I want to, but I also remember how sweet they can be. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I know I love them. Sometimes we just got to remember what we know, but we got to remember what we desire. That's the idea here is affections that are informed. We, we have good affections for the Father because we know what He's done for us is the idea. We have a, a heart and mind that want to worship Him. And then it goes on from heart to soul. That's the, the essence of your being, if you will. The, the, when it's translated into Greek, it's going to be psyche. We love Him with our... We are predisposed to act lovingly to God. That's hard, okay? Look, everything I'm saying should be stuff you've heard before. And, and you may be sitting here as a believer going, well, I know this. I'm giving you Sunday school answers. I get that. But these are some of the hardest Sunday school answers to apply to Tuesday afternoon there are. To be predisposed for your psyche to be to love God is hard because y'all we're broken. Well, it's not that it's not that God's it's not that it's hard to love God. It's not that God is hard to love. Let me say it right. It's not that God is hard to love, but it is hard for us to love God. Why? Sin broke the image of God in us. When you boil down the Ten Commandments, when you boil down the whole law, it's love God and love people. We sin when we don't love. Our ability to love was broken. And it's not that God's hard to love, it's that it's hard for us to love. And so when he says that we are predisposed to act lovingly to God, that's tough. And that's why he adds the next thing on there. That we're supposed to do that and it's hard because we're broken, but he says, and with all your might... It's the idea that you will put effort into this. It takes effort. See, Sunday school answers, it's good when we know the answers. It drives me crazy when people say, don't give me Sunday school answers. Look, Sunday school answers are Sunday school answers because they're right. The question is, do we know how that Sunday school matters, that Sunday school answer matters on Tuesday morning when my kids just don't want to get up and get ready? Do we know how that matters when we're dealing with the person at Walmart that we just want to... Do we know how that matters in everyday life? When we have to make the business decision to act right or not, when we... What does it look like? It takes effort to love God. It takes effort for Him to be the main thing. He says, love Him with all of who you are. I've told you this before, you'll hear me say this again. When I say it's saying to make God your main thing, I'm not telling you it's telling you to make God number one. 
number one in my, my life is my wife and kids. I'm with them more than anything else. But I can't be with them all the time. They're not here right now uh, based on a text message because Izzy doesn't want to get ready. But they'll be here in the 11 o'clock, okay? Um, they'll be here for church then. They, they are, I, I'm not with them all the time, okay? Number two is, is ministry. But lucky for you, I can't preach all the time. I do eventually have to be quiet, okay? Um, I spend more time in ministry than anything else other than my wife and kids, um, you know, from, from that's probably school, studying, from their family back home. All those things are priorities in my life, but none of those things can have every bit of me. And I'm not supposed to let any of those things be the driving main thing factor in my life. What verse 4 and verse 5 tell us are to worship God and love God with everything. It's saying God comes above priority. Here's what that looks like. God determines where my family and I live. God determines how I lead my family. God determines how I teach my kids. He, he tells me how to love my wife rightly. God then determines what book we go to next. We don't just pick Mark and go. We pray about it. We don't just say we're going to do expectations. God has blessed this, and as we got closer to this year... Even though I don't like jumping to text, I felt led that we were supposed to do this. God controls the ministry here. He, he kind of leads and not kind of. He'll tell you what book to read next if you listen. As you study, as you go to school, he controls where I go to school, what I majored in. See, he's, when he's the main thing, he's the thread that weaves in and out of all the other priorities and holds them together and orders them. He, he determines all those things that can be distractions they can be there, but they can't be the thing that becomes the object of your worship. All those things that we love, family, faith family, ministry, whatever, they can be there, but they can't be the thing that orders everything else. This, this is so important that we love God with everything, and then He becomes our main thing. But to love God, we got to know God. That's, that's, that's verse 4 and 5 together. If you know Him and you trust Him, then you can start to love Him. Do, do you know that I was, I think, 34 before I found out I liked Brussels sprouts? Now, I get it. You may look at me and say, there is no way that man likes Brussels sprouts. But I do. I, I love them, okay? And, but the reason I was so old before I found out I liked Brussels sprouts was because I'd always been told you boil them into this green mushy soup. And I was like, there's no way I'm eating it. I'd never tried them. But then somebody told me to roast them. A little bit of bacon on them. A little bit of honey. And, and maybe some salt and black pepper. And that might have been Paul Halleck or Josh Brady that told me to try them that way. But they told me to roast them. And, and so roast these things with that honey. And I, I know I basically just turned them into butterscotch candy. But still, I tried Brussels sprouts that way. And y'all, they're incredible. All right, uh, and taught, taught me how to cook them, but I'd never tried them for myself. The only way I found out that I liked Brussels sprouts was to try them for myself. The only way you're going to find out how much God can enable you to love God is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Hear me. I Be very careful in how you hear that. I'm not telling you to give God a try. Let me be clear. 
I'm not saying give God a chance, the devil will always take you back. That, that is not a Sunday school answer. That's a billboard and it's a bad one, okay? You don't need to guide, give God a chance. You need God to give you a chance, okay? What I am saying is that when we start to follow Him and we start to know Him, the more we experience Him, the more He enables us to love Him. And we'll fail, but those are the moments He picks us up and we see even deeper that the Lord has enabled us to love Him. Are you with me? There will be moments where we fail to make Him the main thing. But even in those moments, as we trust Him to pick us up, He enables us to love and obey Him and follow Him. We taste and see how good He is and we can follow Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You with me? Let's keep going. So He tells us to love God, know God, love God. Then he tells us how to do this. And it sounds real simple. So does adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing until I'm trying to solve for X. Why did letters come into math and calculus, okay? Um, sounds simple, but these are the things we use to navigate the craziness of life. We expect our members to know God, to love God. We expect our members to love God's Word and live by it. <coughs> so look at verse 6. I'll be honest with y'all, this verse has absolutely wrecked me. Verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. On your heart is a huge deal in Deuteronomy. I didn't catch this. I, I, it's, it's not like it's new. It's not like I had some new revelation. I had read the commentaries. I've preached this passage. I've studied this passage. And this week, all the commentators had always said it, but for whatever reason, it just clicked with me this week. It's not something new. Own your heart is massive in this book. It shows up at least two more times. In Deuteronomy 30, we have this picture of God saying, I will, I will circumcise the heart and my word will be on your heart. It shows up throughout the book that the word would be on the heart. How do you put God's word on your heart? Everything he's going to say through the rest of this passage, and we'll look at it, is really practical things you can do. But verse 6, he says, my word will be on your heart. How do you do that? You don't. You can't. Notice verse 6 again. It says nothing about you will put my word on your heart. Look at it. It says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. God's word being on your heart is done solely by an act of God's grace. God does this for those who trust Him. In Deuteronomy, it goes on, like I said, it talks about the circumcision of the heart. And then in Ezekiel, we'll see God talking about taking hearts of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. That's, that's something you can't do for yourself. That's what the image is supposed to convey. God will do something for His people they cannot do for themselves. The rest of this passage, practical stuff you can use. But this part is the part where it's, they hear this and they go, How? And I, I'm going to get the carriage ahead of the horse. Y'all getting almost a whole different sermon than the first service. I want to show that picture real quick, Miss Candace, if I can. When... 
when Hasidic Jews today recite the Shema daily, they put on what's called phylacteries. This thing around his wrist, that, that's got the verse on it. Okay, And it's because it's later on it's going to say you'll bind them on your hands. And in this little box on his eyes it says you'll make them a frontlet between your eyes. He can't even see the scripture, but it's inside that box on his head. I should have got y'all a picture of masuzas. They, they, they'll put a masuza by the door because it talks about it'll be on your gates and on your doorposts. And, and it's a little box. They write this in and put it by the door and they tilt it till the temple's rebuilt, if it's ever rebuilt. And anyway, they take it very literally. Practical things you can do. and they Very literally, do all of it. But when they read this, how does God's Word end up on your heart? Shows up in Deuteronomy, shows up in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, he says, there'll be a new covenant when my word will be on your heart. If you're going to love God's word, you have to realize that the only way God's word will end up on your heart is because God has loved you first. How does it end up on our heart? It's pointing to Jesus. That's, that's what Jeremiah said. There's something coming. God is doing something to make this happen. It's what Ezekiel's pointing to is God is doing something we can't do for ourselves. This thing that the Bible ultimately culminates and adds up to is Jesus. That Jesus takes dead hearts, not just drowning as much as we use that. It's not like we're trying to save ourselves and can't. There's no hope at all. And Jesus makes us alive when we trust Him. Jesus is what changes our hearts. Love for Jesus is what makes us different. But how do we love Jesus with a dead heart? It is solely a work of God for you to trust God. 1 John tells us why, how we can love Jesus. And here, here's how. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. We can't do this apart from a work from Jesus. If we want to love God's Word, if we want to love God, it starts with trusting Jesus. That, sure, these, these readers, these hearers, when Moses is writing this, they don't get Jesus is going to do this substitutionary atonement death. They, they, don't, they don't get all that yet. They do get that sin's bad, that somehow God's going to make atonement and they're trusting God for that. And they get verse 6, they can't do for themselves. We have the benefit of looking back on this side of the cross and knowing that God has done this for us. If we trust Jesus, we can love His Word. We can love Him because He has first loved us. Jesus is God fixing our hearts. So here's what I'm telling you. If you want to love God in verse 6, if you want to love His Word, because those are the expectations of believers, this is the addition and subtraction. Love God, love His Word. It starts with knowing Him and loving Him. And the only way you're going to do that is through what Jesus has done. Here's the deal. If you'll love God's Word, if you'll love Jesus, you'll start to love God's Word. Y'all, I'm not a big reader, okay? I'm not. I, I'd rather listen to a book, and I listen to a lot of books, but I, I, any day. But there's something different about this book. It's, please don't hear me saying, oh, I am just a student of the Word. I told them in the first, I'm already two days behind on my year-long Bible reading plan, okay? I'm three days behind. It's the third, all right? 
I'm not saying oh, I just I can't wait for my quiet time every day, okay? But what I am saying, I love this book because there's it's different. This is God's word without any mix of error, and it is a way to know him in a moment where I commune with him. I hear his spirit, he speaks to me. His word is loved, but not because it's some great work of literature, but because it's his word. And it's it's something with I love it because he is who he is. We love this because he first loved us. Yep, have y'all seen this show, The Mass Singer? You know, and some of your yeah, so look with it. I won't ruin it for you. I am not a contest fan, okay? I hate those shows. I am not an American Idol fan. I do not like Dancing with the Stars. I call Dancing with the Stars wiggling with the has-beens. It's not my thing, okay? If you hadn't seen Mass Singer, the whole premise is celebrities or somebody you've probably heard of wear a mask and they sing and they compete for a season and you're trying to figure out who's behind the mask, okay? <laughs> I, I don't like the show at all, I'll be honest with you. Yet, I cannot wait for the next episode to come out. And I'll tell you why. It has nothing to do actually with the show. It's the fact that Lottie loves that show. Lottie will cheer for the people on the screen. She will pick her favorite. This past one was like these snow owls. And I'm, if you watched it, I'm not going to tell you who was in the mask. But she loves this show. I can't wait for the end. She'll get in the floor and when they're going to take the mask off one of them, she'll scream, take it off. She wants to know who's behind it. I love watching Lottie watch that show. I only like that show because of Lottie. I only love this because it's God's we can love something because of something else. You can love God's Word simply because you love God, not because it's the most interesting read you've ever read. There will be days when you read Leviticus and you go, why did that animal die, bury the dung where, what? But at the end of the day, this book's going to point you to know God. His character is revealed in all of it. Even in those weird laws about burying dung, you think, why is that in there? Look, if God doesn't give them that, they die of pestilence in the wilderness. So they get this weird law that we go, that is so odd. But what it shows us is God is a God who provides for even the weirdest, craziest, and sometimes most mundane aspects of our life. If He's the main thing, He's in and out of every aspect. And therefore, we can love God's Word because it's God's. Y'all with me? So we love God. We love His Word. And we live by it. We live by God's Word. But the only way we're going to do that is to know God's Word. If you want to live by it, you need to know it. Look at the end of the passage, going on from verse 6 and verse 7. You shall teach them, this is His words, you shall teach them diligently to your children. There is no mistake with Him putting the word diligently in there. Y'all, don't give up teaching your family God's Word. I know it's hard. And I know there are days, especially when you, you got little ones, you read it and you think, they didn't hear any of that. You know, we're sitting the other night having our little Christmas devotional, and I'm like really liking it, and Izzy's like, I love donuts. I'm like, what? 
And Izzy's and Lottie's talking about some drawing, and I think they didn't hear a word of that. And then Lottie, she goes and gets in the bathtub, and all of a sudden she's singing about Noah's Ark, and she's telling the story of Noah's Ark, and God saves us. And I'm going, okay, she's listening. I don't, I don't get how, but she's listening. All right, and you have.